Let's get to work. It's Easter. All right. This is like the Super Bowl of Sundays. We got something to celebrate. Uh, So we're going to get into it. I can't hear you up here as normal as where we're used to being. So all your amens and whistles are going to have to be like that much more enthusiastic. So uh, just know that on the outset. Let me ask you a question. How's your hope? How's your hope? Like, would you say that you're somebody that has a optimistic demeanor? Like, you're just full of hope, you're full of joy, you're happy all the time. Um, Anybody is like, is that you? Like, is this, you're just somebody who has this optimistic demeanor? All right. Can we also be honest that sometimes those people are super annoying? (laughs) Like, here it is. So you wake up that way, like, you're just happy all the time, you're smiling, and you're just like, are you unaware of the problems in our world or the chaos? Do you not watch the news? Like you got tons to be mad about and like just pick any of it. Just be mad or something. But like we have this, uh, this joyful demeanor in, in some people more than others. And uh, you have this, this hope that we should have, but uh, it's been tough. It's been tough. It hasn't just been tough lately. Like it's been tough forever. Like, but, but for us in the last few years. It's like there's been a lot of challenging things and that can be hard on your hope. It can be hard on optimism. It can kind of like suffocate hope or choke it out or you can just like I'm tired of having a a positive outlook. I'm just frustrated with everything that's going on. But but hope is not really needed when everything's going well. Like that's not really where hope plays, right? That's not where, where hope shines. In fact, Paul, the apostle in Romans 8, he says that Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? Basically, if you can see it, you don't need to hope for it. You got it. It's there. Like, you hope for things that you don't have, that you can't see. That, that's, that's where hope plays. That's, that's where it's needed most. I think of, uh, like, little kids with the arm floaties that they put on their both arms to go in the swimming pool. Like, you need that when you're in the swimming pool. But if you got, like, a five-year-old running around your house or in the yard with arm floaties... Like, your kid's got issues, right? He's got, like, is a fear? Is that, did your mom make you wear that? Does she have the issues? Like, it's not needed in those contexts. But in the pool, yeah, that makes sense. That's where you need it. And hope, like, we need hope in this broken, sinful world. Like, this is where we, we, we need it the most. So how's, how's your hope doing? Is it strong? Can it take a punch? Can it withstand a storm? Can it stand up to this crazy world? What's the basis of your hope? Like, where, where do you get hope? Where does it come from? And 1 Peter chapter 3, um, we're not going to be there. We will be in 1 Peter. So if it takes you a while to find it, you can start now. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. But in chapter 3, uh, Peter says that we should always be prepared to make a defense or to give an answer for the hope that is in you. So right off the bat, Peter is assuming, hey, if you're a Christian, you have hope. Like he just assumes that. There's a hope in you. You, you have hope. Like if you're a Christian and you don't have a hope, there's a disconnect somewhere. Like you're not really getting the gospel. But if you're a Christian, Peter's assumed, well, then I know that you have hope. And he's assuming you have such a hope that you're going to live a different way. It's so much so that people are going to look at you and ask you a question like, what's your deal? And he's saying, hey, when that happens, because it's going to happen. Like, if you know Christ, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have such a hope that you're going to live so differently that people will ask you, give them a reason for the hope that, you, that is in you. And he said, when that happens, you just need to be prepared to answer it. So are you prepared to answer that question? 
Would anybody ask you that question? And then they do. Would you be prepared to give a good answer? Like if KCRG was out interviewing people outside our church, because that's happened a few times, right? And they, go, they ask you a question. Hey, it's easy. what's the big deal? People singing in there. Everybody's excited. What's, what's the big deal? And if they're going to show your mug and put on their member of Veritas, let's try to give some good answers, okay? <laughs> like why? Why? Why are we excited? Why are we singing? Why, like what's, what's the big deal? And you can say it's like, well, it's Easter, right? And, and there, there's some uh, serious rejoicing that's called for. And, and there's also some serious junk going on in our world, going on in our nation, going on in our individual lives. And I'll double down. And there's still reason for serious rejoicing. And I want to get back to that as a church. Like, I want to get back to what, how we started this service. Like, we're going to we get more singing, and, but I, I want us to not just be ignorant singers. We may be bad singers, but let's not be ignorant singers. Like, let's, let's take a pause and be like, why? Why are we excited? Why, why is somebody going to hoot and holler and whistle? Why, why are we going to sing? Like, what's the reason behind it? Because I'm going to guess that you're just not into singing just for singing. Right? I don't know what the karaoke scene is in Cedar Rapids, but I bet you didn't dress up and say, let's just get together with a bunch of strangers and sing some songs. That sounds fun. Like, let's just do that. No, what we're singing matters. Why we're singing matters. What's causing this rejoicing? Like, why do we get together and sing? Well, what's the reason behind it? I know it's like, I'm not asking difficult questions. You're like, Jesus, it's Easter, the resurrection. But I want to get underneath that. Like, what exactly about the resurrection causes joy, increases hope, makes me want to shout and sing and be excited. Well, let's not just get underneath the resurrection to better understand. Let's also get more personal. Because that's why we're here collectively as a church. But but is the thought of the resurrection of Jesus Christ causing rejoicing in you? Like when you think about it, does it make you want to sing? Does it give you hope? First Peter Let's, let's try to answer these questions. First Peter chapter 1, we got six verses, and the, our, our section ends with hope-filled rejoicing. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I just want to stir that up in us. Uh, it's Easter. I want us to, like, come back. When the band comes out here, I just want to be stirred up to It's like, I want to express my joy found in Jesus. So let's better understand that in this text. So First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, that's why it's our Easter passage, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's Easter. So it's like, why did he pick this one? That's why I picked this one. That's why we're going here. But there's so much around it that we need to understand. And there's a word or a phrase that stands out there that you may have heard before about being born again. And a lot of times in the context that we hear today, it's like, what does that mean? If you're born again, you're a born again Christian. It's like, well, it's just weird Christians. I mean, I don't know. Like, they're just, what does that mean to be born again? Well, actually, it comes from a conversation Jesus had with a Pharisee in John chapter 3 named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking some important questions, questions that you might be asking yourself is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you got to be born again. But, but Nicodemus didn't get that. Like, what do you mean, born again? Like, I'm a grown man. I don't think mom's going to like that. Like, I, like, what do you mean, born again? How, how do I do this? And he's like, well, you're born of flesh. You need to be born of spirit. You need to have a spiritual birth. 
okay, how? How do, how do I do that? It's like, well, you don't. Like, this is a work of God. God gives new life. God gives new birth. He gives spiritual life. I'm like, well, how, how does he do that? Or why would he do that? Well, in our sentence here, it's according to his great mercy. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. So it's in your work, it's God's work. He causes it to happen in people. He gives people new life. And the reason that he gives people new life is his great mercy. Now, mercy is showing compassion or offering forgiveness to someone you have the power to punish. Um, you ever play the game Mercy as a kid? If you don't know about that game, kids, listen up. Your parents will love that I teach you this game. So you, you lock fingers with your sibling. Let's just start there. You can take it to school later. They'll love that too. Uh, and you just try to bend each other's hands back and inflict the most amount of pain till you drop them on their knees and bend it so it hurts so much, the only way to end the game is the loser says mercy, right? So try that at home. You do that. I taught Rudy the other day. Smoked her. One. All right. <laughs> but you're like, I'm going to inflict in this much pain, and, and the person has to say, what do they say? Mercy, right? They're like, I'm done. I'm done, right? Well, God is great at mercy. I'm not talking about the game, although he would win that one too, right? Uh, but he, he's... Uh, He has great mercy, or in Ephesians 2, it says he's rich in mercy. Like his character is like eager to relent from punishment, to to show mercy. Now, there's two phrases or words you're probably familiar with if you've been around church world long enough, grace and mercy. Now, there's some overlap there, but there's some differences as well. Like grace is when you don't deserve that good thing, but, but you get it anyways, Mercy is when you do deserve that bad thing, but you don't get it. And both grace and mercy are in play in our salvation. Mercy is getting highlighted here, but even here, um, both, both are in play. It's, a, it's God's great mercy, or in his great mercy, he not only doesn't punish us for our sins, which we do deserve, but he gives us new life. He causes us to be born again. He gives us a new life. We, didn't, we don't earn it. We, we don't deserve it. It's, it's his great mercy that caused, that he's the, he's the mover in this. It caused us to have new life, to be born again. So here's an awkward question for you. Have you been born again? Do you have new life, a spiritual life? Have you ever wondered that? Maybe you've been in church a long time. It's like, am I, am I born again? Like, I don't, I don't know if I remember being spiritually born. Was it at summer camp? I remember praying with my mom one time before bed. Was it in college we went on a retreat? Or there was a speaker that one time. I went to Veritas one time. I heard Jake's speech made me cry. It was amazing. Like, was that it? Did that happen then? Like, I don't, I don't remember being spiritually born. It's like, well, I don't remember being physically born either. That would be traumatic, right? But I'm alive. I know I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm here. There's not a question whether I've been born or not physically. So the question really isn't, do you remember being born again, or do you remember being spiritually born? The question is, are you spiritually alive now? Are you spiritually alive now, and what is the evidence of being spiritually alive? Look back at verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. 
to a living hope. Like you've been born again, so you get this new spiritual life and a, a defining trait or an evidence of this new spiritual life is a living hope, a hope that is shaping the way you live, a hope that is so alive in you, it's influencing your actions and your emotions and your demeanor and your optimism and it's giving you hope. Like this is an evidence of that. It's a kind of hope that we get when we get new life from God. Or you can put it this way. A living hope in Jesus is evidence of new life from Jesus. So, so this new birth happens. And in this new birth, we get new eyes. And with these new eyes, it's like I can finally see how beautiful Jesus is. And I missed it for so many years. But now I have eyes to see. And in this new birth, you get new ears. New ears to hear. That's why Jesus is saying, you know, those who have ears, you know, listen to what we say. Listen to what I say. And it's like, uh, everybody's got ears. Yeah, but some people don't have these ears because some of what I'm saying, you're missing. But, but when you get new life, you get these new ears to hear. He says, my sheep, they know my voice. They hear my voice. They know who I am. Like, they, you get these ears to hear the words of God afresh. Like, oh, I hear it. I didn't hear it before. I didn't get it. Like, you get a new mind, the mind of Christ. And this mind begins to understand the things of God. Like, I didn't, I didn't even get it before. How could I have missed that? And you get a new heart. It talks about God taking out a heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. And with this new heart, you get new passions. Like, I love God. I didn't used to love God. I just love myself. I just want my glory. Now I want God's glory. I have this new, like, feelings and emotions and passions. And you get a new hope. And we got a new future. And with this new hope, you live differently. So has that happened to you? You got new eyes to see Jesus in a way you've never seen him before? Do you have new ears to hear the word of God in the way you've never heard before? Has that happened to you? And if not, would you plead to God for it to happen to you? Romans 15, 13, it says, the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. That's a request. Like, God, do this. I need you. I need you to cause me to be born again. Give me eyes to see you. Give me ears to hear you. Like, open, you know, open my heart to you. Plead with God to do that. And can we just acknowledge, like, how great a news is it that God does this? He gives people new life. And when we look at the brokenness in our world, and you think, oh, we need this policy, we need this law, we need this system fixed. And it's like, yeah, on some level, but, but ultimately, broken people need, you know, like, not a new start, but a new life, a new heart. And God is doing that. You got a room full of people who would testify that God does that, Amen. Like God is alive and active and, and our hope or our confidence that God is actively giving people new life is that he stood up and got out of that grave. Like he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. Like he didn't just, you know, raise himself from the dead. He's giving new pe- people new life now. He intercedes on our behalf. He, like he's active, he's alive, he's at work. Basically our hope is alive because our savior is alive. Like, that's why we're here. Like we have a hope beyond this life. Look at uh, verse 3 again. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what it comes down to. Easter. Easter. This new hope, this living hope, this new life, this is about Easter. It's through the resurrection, all this, and by this I mean uh, a living hope, born again, new life. All this is through the resurrection. And look what we're resurrected to. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Somebody say amen. amen. Like you, you, we are uh, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to this new life, an inheritance, an inheritance that speaks of our future, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. There's a salvation that is going to be revealed. Jesus told his disciples one time, he's like, hey, I'm going away. I'll come back. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. I made everything in six days, and he's been gone a while, so I think it's going to be pretty sweet. <laughs> you, ever watch, you ever watch those HGTV shows? Who watches HGTV shows? Three people and 800 liars. You guys. <laughs> you need to be, y'all need to be born again. I'm telling you. But you watch these HGTV shows, and they have these reveals at the end. They go, like flip a house or fix up a house, and then they kind of bring in the owners, and they, like, have this reveal. The wife usually cries. The husband stands awkwardly. I'm happy if you're happy. That's just, like, it's great. Uh, but they have this big reveal. It's, it's amazing. There is going, listen, for our, when it comes to our salvation, cl- close your eyes, picture it with me. There's going to be a reveal. Like the clouds will be pulled back and we'll see King Jesus face to face. And it's like, here you go. Like I'm here and every tear will be wiped away and you'll be made new forever with God. There's gonna be a reveal. And you don't have to worry about losing it. It's kept by God's power. Not your power, not your performance. God's power is keeping it for you. You're not gonna lose it. Nobody's gonna steal it. It's not gonna perish. It's not gonna expire. Like I got this for you. I'm holding it for you. And guys, it all starts with God's mercy. God's great mercy. In God's great mercy, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to live, to die, to rise again. But if there's no mercy, there's no Jesus. And if there's no Jesus, there's no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, there's no new birth. And if there's no new birth, there's no living hope, there's no future inheritance. And all of it comes back to mercy. All of it begins with God's great mercy, which means none of us deserve any of it. You don't deserve new life. You don't deserve new eyes to see Jesus. You don't deserve new ears to understand his words. You don't deserve this living hope. It's great mercy. None of us deserve any of it. Now, how does that impact you? How does it impact you when you realize something so amazing is offered to you and you don't deserve it? Look at verse 6. It says, in this you, what? Rejoice. That's what it causes in us. We rejoice. And in this, the this is referring to the great mercy shown to us by God, the new life shown to us by God, the living hope given to us by God. In this, this causes us to rejoice. It's, it's the source of our hope. It's the a joy that can withstand the craziness of this world. Like, look at the rest of 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you can rejoice even though you can grieve. You can rejoice even though you go through trials. Because not an either or, guys. If you're going to go through really hard stuff, there's going to be things that cause real grief, and you can have real joy in the midst of that. But like it, it, it's, it's both. Grief and joy are both a part of the Christian life. And it's not a naive joy, or it's not an ignorant hope. Like, oh, I hope, and it's like, no, it's based on an empty tomb. Guys, in this life, is full of things that cause grief and heartache. Some of you are in it right now, like the thick of it. Every one of you in here has reasons for sadness. But because of Jesus Christ, we have better reasons for joy. We have better reasons for joy. The gospel, the, the good news of Jesus doesn't ignore the pain of this world. It addresses it. It resolves it. That's why he says, for a little while. Like, hey, I took care of it. Like, it's going to be eradicated. It's going to be dealt with. But for a little while, like, it can only last a lifetime, but I have eternity in perspective. And in a little while, you may go through some difficult things, and you may go through things that cause grief. But that's not the end. It's not the end. And because it's not the end, even though you go through hard stuff now, you can rejoice now. Now. And these trials that do cause real, genuine grief also reveal real, genuine faith. He brings up this picture of gold, like gold being refined by fire. Like you you put gold in the fire and it kind of gets away of the impurities and it comes out like this this is gold. It it proves that it's gold. It it shows that it's gold. And he uses this illustration uh, to kind of connect it to our faith. Like when you go through fire, when you go through trials... When you go through difficulties, when you get bad news from the doctor, when, when you're going through a rocky time, when you get let go, when you're, when you're struggling, and yet you still praise Jesus, that is evidence or proof of like, dude, God's done something with you. Like, you're legit. Like, you, like God has given you a new life. Like, where's that coming from? It's an evidence of the genuineness of your faith. And what it says in here is that it's going to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But here's what's wild. This isn't talking about praise, glory, and honor given to God. It's talking about praise, glory, and honor given to us by God. You're like, wait a second. That's kind of reversed. And I've got to clarify this, especially our narcissistic age. You are not a bigger deal than God. Okay? Let's clarify that. But, but here's what he's saying in this text. Now, there's going to come a day when, when the revelation of Jesus Christ, we will be praising God. Like every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It'll be the most amazing things your eyes have ever seen. And you're going to be caught up in the glory of God. And in that moment, God will also tell to his people, well done, good and faithful servant. When you were on your deathbed, when you had to walk through that chemo, when you lost your job and you still spoke highly of my name and gave me praise and honor... I love that. You did awesome. Welcome home. Like God's going to be pumped about that, and he's going to extend praise and honor and glory to you, his faithful servants who walked through the junk and the trials and clung to him. 
just be, I'm pumped. That, that was awesome. You did great. This is what God is so excited about or pleased with that results in his praising on that day too. Look at verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's an amazing passage. What he's saying, it is so honoring to God. And Veritas, this is true of you. You encourage me every week in this, but he's saying it is so honoring to God that even though none of us in here have ever seen Jesus, you still love him. And even though we don't now see him, like he's not sitting in this service, still believe in him. And we express the joy he's brought to our lives because of the great mercy shown to us by God, giving us new life in him. He loves that. He loves it. But maybe you're somebody who would say, listen, I believe in God. I love Jesus. But I'm really struggling with that last one. This expressing of joy. I'm struggling with hope. It's not that I don't believe in God. It's not that I don't love him. I'm just, I'm on empty. I don't feel like singing. You know the week I had? You know the year I had? I don't, I don't feel like it. I just got nothing left. And yet it's a command. You know, there's a psalm, a famous psalm, Psalm 42 Uh, verse 5, where the psalmist is kind of in a wrestling match with himself. And he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Like he's literally talking to his own soul. And he's he's a bit frustrated with his own soul. It's like, why are you so down? Ever been there? Ever have that conversation? Like, why can't I shake this? Like, I'm just depressed. I'm down. I'm negative. And he's stepping back. This isn't a moment by by himself. Like, he's not going to admit this to other people. He's like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me, soul? Why are you so downcast? Why are you at turmoil within me? And then he, he tells himself to do something. He says, hope in God. Hope in God. He gives himself that command. Or you don't have to look very far in our own passage. Chapter 1, you go to verse 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's like, what is it? Are we born again to a living hope or do we got to set our hope? You betcha. You've been born again to this living hope. So set your hope on it. Don't be passive with your hope. Don't let the headlines dictate your emotions. Don't let your headline like go up and down with how the world, how did I have a good day? Did I have a bad day? Am I hopeful? Am I pessimistic? Am I optimistic? Like, don't be so passive with your hope. You take responsibility for your hope. And don't put it in temporary earthly things like economies or politicians or stuff and toys that's going to perish. You take responsibility for your hope, and that means you actively put it on God. I'm going to find my joy in God. I'm going to find my peace in God. I'm going to find my intent, contentment in God. How do I put my hope in God? Like, think about the gospel. Dwell on the gospel. Turn your mind to the gospel. Sing about the gospel. Captivate yourself with the gospel. Take responsibility for your hope because you have the greatest 
thing in the world to place it in. Jesus Christ, the living Savior. And if they can't kill our Savior, they can't kill our hope. Do you hear me? If we got a Savior that, that can't die, we got a hope that can't die. And if we got a, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, it can't spoil, we got a hope that can't spoil. There's going to be, it's going to be revealed. Sounds weird, but I'm telling you, a day is coming. King Jesus is returning. He is not in that tomb. He has a plan that's unfolding. We don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve any of it. It's all because of God's great mercy. Church, that's incredible. We more than anybody else have reason to get together and sing and shout and clap and whistle. Amen? So church, here's what we're going to do as a church. We are right now, in this moment, based on this, what we've learned from this text, we're going to please God. We're going to bring pleasure to God. We're going to make God smile because what's going to happen. Even though none of us in here have ever seen Jesus, let's corporately express our love to him. Even though we don't now see Jesus sitting in this room, let's, let's corporately express our belief in him with a joy that is incredible. Like we can't even fathom it because we've been shown great mercy by God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. And we know we could only say that because you first loved us. And you caused us to be born again to this living hope where we now have eyes that see just how beautiful you are, ears that delight at your word, and a heart that can say, oh, we love you. We love you. We love you. And we say that because you first loved us when we were unlovable. You sent Jesus to the cross, declaring your love for us despite our sins. You rose up. You defeated sin, Satan, and death, and our hope is alive because you're alive. And we want to declare to you just what you mean to us. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.